The Handsome Hockey Podcast here for episode 28, which is sponsored by nobody. We, <laughs> <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we ain't got sponsor clout yet. If you want to sponsor us, hit us up. HandsomeHockeyPod at gmail.com. <laughs> Even if you want to just give us things, that's fine too. We are not taking donations of COVID though. Check out our OnlyFans. <laughs> nobody wants to see our OnlyFans. Uh, not it's, even it's, our significant uh, others. Safe for work. Yeah, it's just me in a t-shirt hanging out <laughs> <laughs> just pasty white boys it's, like, it's like 4.99 for this picture of jake standing <laughs> fully clothed sell our nfts you know we're all just giving money to the 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 man yeah that's what we do in america we yeah. throw money at problems no we throw money we don't throw money at the right problems yeah if you're in the south you throw money at creating bills to ban trans athletes from participating in sports right or keep black people from voting but if you're anywhere in the united states you just allow the rampant buying purchasing using and application of firearms got a problem apply firearms to it yeah. does your neighbor's fence go too high shoot him in the <laughs> fucking face just add guns yeah. i was gonna say that we were gonna try and tie this first little portion to hockey in some way I don't think we need but to. But I don't think we're going to. I think what we're going to say is, you people and your fucking guns <laughs> are the worst. I mean, I understand, you know, people have a right to own firearms and there are lots of responsible gun owners out there. Uh, you you know, people aren't the problem. Yeah. Your friends are, though. I mean, what? We just saw this shithead kid shoot up a FedEx facility with fully legally purchased Assault rifles. Or we watched a Chicago police officer murder a 13-year-old with his hands up in the air who was clearly unarmed. Mm -hmm. It turns out even people who are trained to use guns probably shouldn't be using guns. Yeah, you can be a 26-year uh, police force veteran and, whoopsies, grabbed the wrong gun. Yeah. It's not a taser that's made of plastic and yellow and, and significantly lighter and on your non-dominant hand. You know, I understand that we have a culture of guns mm -hmm. in the United States, but that culture of guns is caustic and violent. When you hear of people in nice neighborhoods who feel like they've got to be packing yeah. to walk their child to school. I think or, of the uh, the Karen and, and her husband that came out with packing against the, uh, yeah. the protesters in their, in their gated community. And yeah. I'm sort of a gun owner myself and I enjoy, I've enjoyed shooting in the past, but I like yeah, how you're like, category categorizing yourself as sort of a gun owner. Well, like it's my gun, but it's not here. It's back home at my mom's place. It's just my, my grandfather's old untouchables style pump action, 1912 shotgun. Yeah. Like I get it. Guns are cool. Like, I understand. Mm -hmm. I mean, I personally don't think guns are cool. I understand why people think they're cool. They make loud noises. It's the same reason we like fireworks. They make loud noises and you feel like you're in power when you have them. Right. One of the reasons that, like, the Black Panthers became what they were is 
they armed themselves against the tyrannical government and, you know, protected. Yeah. And that's why their leadership got fucking gunned down. Right. Yeah. It, they made themselves enemies of the state. But uh, now the state is making itself an enemy of the people. We, we've been at this moment for a long time. Before we started recording today, Evan made a really good point that, you know, these problems have always been there, but now they're in the faces of more Americans than just the people who are affected. Mm -hmm. The checks and balances that our country was formed upon, which were created specifically to keep white hegemony in power and in place, you know, those checks and balances are now starting to be questioned and mm -hmm. the barriers that we used to have where the police were there to protect us have been shattered in white communities because now we finally are seeing the pain and the suffering and the destruction that police power has created in communities of color. Right. And a lot of it is because we've created sort of a perverse profit motive in policing. I mean, in you know, after World War II, there was a hot minute there when we were like legitimately trying to get rid of prisons and basically downsize police altogether. And I view our current crisis of policing as at least partially an offshoot of the forever war on terror and the fact that we can now uh, launder any amount of military equipment into police hands for free. It's also the 80s war on drugs, mm -hmm. the crack epidemic. We've just had this series of things that we have said, you know what? Police should take care of that. Mm -hmm. When in reality, those aren't things that the police are supposed to be taking care of whatsoever. Yeah. And I listened to a really interesting podcast once about uh, how the car has impacted policing. And like that was one of the reasons that we have police that ostensibly do traffic stops and police the way they do is because of the car. But, you know, we've had cars for 120 years mm -hmm. at this point. Policing should have changed by this point. Well, and it's it, yeah, there are a number of reasons why it's kind of become what it is now. And I think picking up a profit motive along the way where, you know, we want to grow our, our salaries, want to grow our, our you know police forces, we want to grow our a natural offshoot of when you have a large amount of people with this job. I mean, yeah, police should be able to provide for themselves, but it shouldn't come on the back of like de facto taxes on impoverished communities like what we saw in Ferguson, where, you know, you have this fucked up judicial system that is just ticketing its, uh, ticketing the citizens of this municipality to death just because the police budget is predicated on the backs of handing out tickets and then like not telling people. And so they don't show up to court summonses. So they get fined up the wazoo because one letter didn't get sent or something. And I think that's the, the underlying problem is this, this incentive that we've created. Well, we have a military industrial complex mm -hmm. that ostensibly runs a country we have a <laughs> private prison complex mm -hmm. that is contracted with the government and right. if we don't fill quotas for those prisons we owe them more money mm -hmm. and then we have a police force that is bloated 
by budget, bloated by responsibility, and has a massive influx of military-grade weapons and, and given to them by free. Evan and I aren't saying that the job of being a police officer is easy. No. It's one of the most difficult jobs that we have. And we've made it almost undoably hard in what we ask police to do. You know, there are a lot of interesting proposals out there about taking the whole traffic side away from police and making that the domain of city transportation officials. And so then, like, if you have a problem intersection, like the one right out here, where cars flip over like it's their job, you can both address physical failings in city infrastructure and traffic problems without guns. We see a huge problem in policing just being guns at traffic stops. The response to every altercation with a police officer shouldn't be predicated on the police officer having a gun. Right. We understand that a gun naturally kind of makes you feel safe and and in some circumstances does provide a measure of safety, but we just wield them too unnecessarily and poorly to keep doing what we're doing. Well, in the Cold War, we had the idea of mutually assured destruction between the United States and Russia. We have just as many, if not more, nuclear warheads pointed at targets in your country as you do at our country. And you know what everybody was? Fucking terrified. Yeah. For 40 fucking years, the answer to the gun crisis in the United States is not, has never been, and should never be more guns. Right. We're at a point where good gun owners, like those who are trained with their weapons and are responsible with their weapons, their voices have been drowned out by people who are like, don't tread on me, Gadsden flag, bang, bang, bang. (laughs) NRA. Yeah. Yeah, And that's because of the profit incentive, because these companies that make firearms are massively publicly traded companies that are beholden to their shareholders. And so they, they like, we've created a profit incentive there as are the companies that uh, create (laughs) tanks and armaments and armor for, for the military. And we gave a huge backdoor directly to police forces with the 1033 and the 1122 initiatives that allow police to purchase new new military equipment using their own funding with the same discounts that are given to the military. And the 1033 program allows the DOD to just transfer excess equipment to local law enforcement free of charge. And, you know, these two programs aren't exactly very well administered. Like, this shit has just gone missing. You know, it, tanks and, and guns and blah, blah, blah. It, it is very uh, a fungible thing. Well, along with the lines of the militarization of American police forces after 9-11, which the idea that we were going to combat terrorism with police officers carrying assault rifles is fucking laughable. I, I hate to tell you this, but the NYPD wasn't going to stop two planes from smashing into the World Trade Towers. That's not how the war on terror works. No, but uh, it, SWAT teams were rolled out basically in response to one shooting in California where the police were, were dramatically outgunned. Yeah. By people who had body armor and assault rifles, Mm -hmm. which people shouldn't be able to fucking own. Right. And since then, ownership of those two things has only 
exponentially increased. So, you know, are we safer when we're more armed? No, absolutely not. You know, the best communities in America are not the ones with the most and most armed cops. Like they're the ones with the strongest social contracts. And as we see in Portland, if you have a police force that kind of betrays the social contract, crime then goes up. Like the police can undo their own goodwill by fucking up. Well, and we also, in a lot of communities, especially a lot of urban communities in the United States, the police officers aren't part of that community. They're right. coming in from elsewhere to police com- a community that they aren't a part of. Right. In Portland specific, most police officers don't live in fucking Portland. They live in Vancouver or Gresham or wherever they're coming from. Yeah, it, it's like, something like they, 18% of PPB officers actually live here. And so, like, you don't have the same amount of care about that community because it's not yours. It's the one where you get paid to go to. Right. And a lot of people will say, don't shit where you eat or don't eat where you shit. Like, that's a great way to look at it. (laughs) Well, Um, I mean, I'm not going to eat on the toilet, but like. Why not? It's just efficient. I mean, if I'm going to be there all day, <laughs> I don't have a very cushy toilet seat. Uh, that's where you're fucking up. Yeah. You don't have like, I li- I you live don't have a- the old person padded uh, vinyl seat. I, ha- I live Ugh. in a 100 year old. Yeah. Talk about like the grossest things we've ever decided <laughs> upon as a country. The padded toilet seat is way up there. As I, I as I listen to us talk here, I've mm-hmm. noticed that we have gone on various different tangents throughout the last you know 15 to 20 minutes. What that really points to is there are so many problems and the system is broken. Mm-hmm. As a country, one, we need, God damn it, we need to defund the police and make them more efficient, allow them to do the job that they're supposed to do and pay people to do the other jobs, the welfare jobs, to yeah. do what they're trained to do, what they've gone to college to do, to like become mental health professionals, to like become healthcare workers to become social workers like there are people in the world who have gone to school to do that most of them are not cops right and you know a lot of people push back on the will to defund police and say well aren't you just gonna enable crime but what prevents crime in the first place is using these police funds instead of as kind of a cleanup crew as police inevitably are you can prevent crime by housing people, providing them mental health services, uh, giving people jobs. The cost of a cop, you can house a family for a year in Portland. Or, you know, like we can spend that money better, but we have been conditioned and grown too afraid. And so we put our money towards this armed police force that has shown that they're reckless. It's time to be proactive instead of reactionary. Mm-hmm. Military-grade weapons in the hands of untrained police officers is a reaction. Mm-hmm. If we start spending money to stop these problems from happening before they start, we don't need tanks rolling down the streets of American cities We just need a well-trained, responsive, and flexible police force that includes mental health professionals, social workers, healthcare professionals. It shouldn't be just the thin blue line. It should be a blue line surrounded by an army, a veritable army 
of trained professionals to help crisis situations before they start and once they arise. Yeah, and this is, you know, in my eyes, many ways, a uh, just a consequence of how we've hollowed out our tax base and basically pushed, you know, a neoconservative, neoliberal austerity on our society. You know, uh, under Ronald Reagan, we completely defunded the mental health system that we had for the state and just basically put a bunch of crazy people on the street and then essentially turned around and declared war on them when they wanted to do drugs and survive and, uh, you know, make money by selling drugs or use drugs to, or commit crimes in order to get money to use more drugs. Right. Which is exactly what we see happening, you know, in COVID and this sort of spike in violence that we see in Portland and in, uh, across the U.S., it's not because we got rid of a very small uh, detail of uh, gang liaisons that you know still are on the force. No, it's because people lost their jobs. People are desperate. They're turning to drugs and violence and the black market to meet their make their ends meet because the state has completely failed to support a whole swath of people in this you know pandemic when. We're keeping people from working, but we're also then not turning around and giving them the money to survive. I guess in short, let's be more compassionate. Let's defund and reinvest money that goes to a militarized police force. And until we get to that point, for the love of fucking God, can we stop murdering black and brown people in cold blood in the streets of America? Yeah, it's an absolute travesty. You know, it'll ruins my whole fucking week to like hear that a 13 year old kid has been gunned down in Chicago, a city that I love. And you get the sense that there's still a critical mass of people kind of getting irritated enough with this position to you know do something about it, but it's taking too goddamn long. And for fuck's sake, let's hold these people responsible. Mm-hmm. Like what's her name? Something Potter in Minneapolis who just, murdered the Dante Wright is getting charged with manslaughter. And, you know, Derek Chauvin is uh, going, is on trial for second degree murder when Mm -hmm. he put his knee into a man's throat and for eight minutes and it's on video. I mean, I still think that is an appropriate charge because if you overcharge somebody, then they have an easier way to escape, you know, and that's been a historic way that these police officers have gone unpunished for things like this is you'll have a prosecutor that saddles a charge that he can't actually prove on this guy. And so they basically do a show trial and somebody walks. So, I mean, while yeah, it second degree murder doesn't sound like uh, first degree murder, but first degree murder implies premeditation. No, second degree murder is a, probably a, an appropriate charge as is manslaughter for you know this woman in uh, outside of Minneapolis and to the mayor's credit uh, there you know they said they said more right things than usual and she stepped down and they immediately charged her like there have been so many times when a city doing that would have made a difference in terms of 
you know, rioting and uh, protesting when that hasn't happened. And I think maybe some jurisdictions have started to figure this out that like, oh, you actually have to, you know, make a press conference like Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago and Adam Toledo's family, like basically pleaded with the city of Chicago not to riot too hard and and make this a bigger problem than it already is. And while that's kind of empty, it's probably the right thing to do. I hate it when you have a very reasoned response to my emotional response. Well, it, <laughs> it's not because I'm not emotional. It's just like... No, you're better at it. <laughs> Speaking of people who should hold a fucking press conference. Yeah. Let's get back to hockey, shall we? Mm-hmm. And Digit Murphy. Yeah. No peep out of her. She yeah. who should be the former head coach of the Toronto Six is still silently sitting in her transphobic world, allowing the Toronto Six to make statements about, oh, she has left this group that has a long lineage of having transphobic stances. Mm-hmm. Hasn't said come out and said, you know what, actually... I realize the error of that group and the error of my ways, and I am going to become better as a person and try and learn and embrace these communities. Mm -hmm. Instead, she's said fucking nothing. She's just sitting at home, twiddling her thumbs, (laughs) twiddling her her digits, twiddling. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Well, I think it also speaks to the economics of the situation and, and the power dynamic is what's going on is the Toronto six is owned by the ownership group that owns a bunch of other teams, Boston and soon to be Montreal. Right. And which becomes problematic when those ownership groups are not willing to come out and say, we do not agree with this stance, the stance we find inappropriate. Digit Murphy has now is no longer the coach of our team. Well, and I think that's the problem is they seem to obviously have some people amongst them that, support this stand trans women in women's sports has turned around and kind of re-exposed the turfs of the world that you know have been ignored for a little while you know that everybody's getting sort of the jk rolling treatment and so i understand that some of these people are not wanting to weigh in one way or another but the nwhl is a publicly inclusive league and that is in their mission and that is something that they have paraded around. And so, you know, they need to step up and take this seriously. And, you know, we would love nothing more than them to put out a statement from Digit Murphy unequivocally saying my previous position was wrong. Like there is still time and room to come back from this error, but it doesn't look like that's happening. And that's the bummer. In the absence of this, we have seen some players. We've seen the... I- believe the Metropolitan Riveters come out and say, you know, they stand with the trans community. We've seen Shannon Doyle, who plays for the Connecticut Whale, uh, <laughs> come out and speak about their sadness and their anger in the lack of response from the league itself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for an inclusive league to completely eschew one portion of that community that they're trying to make feel more inclusive. Right. It shouldn't take players standing up and saying, this is wrong for you to make a statement. You should have a statement quickly, efficiently and vociferously 
coming out against the transphobic stance of this group and the members, the continued membership of Digit Murphy in that group. Well, and none of that has happened. Now discontinued membership, but they haven't addressed her previous membership. Right. Uh, the Toronto Six said, oh, she's left. She's removed herself from the group. She's not saying that the group was wrong. She's just right. not in the group anymore. And that's the point is that the group is wrong. I mean, th- there seems to be a little bit of a common thread in hockey leadership dropping the ball right now and uh, players, outspoken players in the media saying things, getting things done. Um that's what J.D. Miller had to do about COVID. Yeah, when one of your star players has to be the first person to come out and say, this shit that the NHL is asking us to do is inherently dangerous to us as players and as people. These are like specifically that shit being having them play 19 games in 31 days immediately after coming back from a rampant COVID infection that has left many players and their families uh, with significant symptoms. Like, yeah, everyone in the media and hockey Twitter was bashing the Canucks and NHL and the NHLPA for not doing more about this. But it took JT Miller speaking out for anything to happen. Yeah, and they, like, sort of kind of changed they delayed one game they delayed two days Mm -hmm. for a team that still has numerous people on the covid list right like tyler mott hasn't been on the covid list for i think five or six days and he's not able to play today because he's still still dealing with shit right i i'm okay with them playing with shitty players as long as everyone is healthy but one thing we know is that coming back from COVID is not a linear progression. I mean, Mika Zabinijad missed, it seems like a third of his season of functionality, even though he was on the ice after having a bad case of COVID. Yeah. The stars still suck. And they <laughs> like, right. No team has come back from a COVID infection better. I yeah. mean, that's where Buffalo's season went off the rails, New Jersey, Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. There's a pretty obvious pattern here. And while we can sit here and say, well, the Canucks weren't going to make the playoffs anyways, technically they were in the hunt. Yeah. They were but like, scratching at the door at least. But now they don't have a chance because the entire team has been washed over by this virus that has killed th- over 3 million people worldwide. Yeah. And several of them are said to have been having really bad symptoms and to turn around and then make them play professional hockey in such a short order. One of them seems ridiculous. The doctor had to go to their house and give them an IV. Like Mm -hmm. that's not something that happens on a normal case of the flu. Maybe what the theme of today's episode is, is a dearth of leadership Mm -hmm. in the world. The NHL went like maybe two months where they were doing a really great job with COVID. They revised their protocols Mm -hmm. after everybody and their mother got sick. Literally their mothers (laughs) got sick. And we had, we had like a two month break there where they were doing pretty well. And then it was like, the NHL was like, Oh man, we've built up some good karma, some good, (laughs) like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to fucking waste all of it. Hey, Vancouver, guess what? You're coming back and we're just going to, run you through the grinder afterwards. I have one concept of a uh, a proposal, I guess, is to have the Canucks 
play all of their games against playoff teams relatively on time or before the end of where the regular season ends. That's for purposes of league integrity and playoff seeding. And, you know, if they're going to play, let's make this a little bit easier and space out some games. And so to that end, take the pointless four games against the Senators, the two bottom teams in the North Division playing against each other, and let's put them during the playoffs. No one is going to care if you have an undercard game before a playoff game. If anything, more hockey, more better. And then while you're at it, they play the Calgary Flames just above them in the bottom of the standings right at the end of the season. So once the Calgary Flames are mathematically eliminated from playoff contention, which at this rate probably won't take too terribly long, um, start moving those games back. Start spacing them out. Give this team time to practice. You know, if you're the players do have a bit of an incentive to play these games in that they want to amass stats, they want to amass games played for their contract metrics, and they want to, you know, get paid and get experience because a lot of these teams have very young developing players. So if you're going to play the games, let's space them out. We are also not mentioning the fact that the Avalanche just got shut down. They Mm -hmm. have, I think, three players on the COVID list right now and are um, are not playing through at least Tuesday or there's a number, there's a handful of players on the COVID list in Colorado right now as well. We hope that they are able to get back to full health. I mean, Grubauer was having his best season as a professional this Mm -hmm. year. And it's really too bad that to see that derailed much like every other, uh, season that has been derailed by COVID this year. Um, I mean, Evan and I are sitting here talking about hockey, but we also understand that, Hockey isn't important. We can say that. We're not in Canada, so we can say that. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, the Canadians are sharpening their pitchforks. Yeah, well, I mean, only two of them have ever listened to us, so that's fine. Hockey is a game, and people's lives are not. And so let's take the time to let these people heal. And if they are able to play hockey once they're healthy, cool. Mm Mm-hmm. But we also shouldn't get them healthy and then run them through a gamut that's going to run them back into the ground. You know, we've been talking about some awful shit for the last (laughs) hour or so. So we're going to lighten it up again a bit. And we're going to bring out the yawn scale that you have grown accustomed to the last couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about what happened right at the trade deadline. Because we recorded last week on a Sunday and then a lot of things happened immediately after we recorded. So, yeah, David Rich was traded to Toronto from Calgary for a 2022 third round pick. And this was one of the more awkward trades, not because of the trade itself, but because of the the product of it. Yeah. So David Riddick uh, traded to Calgary or traded from Calgary to Toronto immediately before Calgary played in Toronto. Um, So he actually had to fly along with his old team to Toronto and then uh, immediately started against them. And if you in look his at, old pads, yeah, I was going to say, and if, and his uh, equipment strangely had red hues while his uniform was blue. And um, I think he actually came out and said he got kind of confused. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Cause he, what played the puck behind the net and he got like, he said he got scared seeing blue players and then yeah. he, 
was like, oh, wait, I am blue. It was kind of a bit of a love fest, though, because I guess on this plane ride, you know, his ex-teammates all got to kind of hang out with him and say proper goodbyes. And that's something that doesn't exactly happen in the trade deadline scenario, and especially now with COVID. Um, so kind of glad that he got to see that. And then <laughs> my favorite is uh, when he's playing for Toronto, you know, uh, like a true professional, just takes a whack at Matt Kachuk's feet. Yeah. Oh, he's finally on the other side of right. it. <laughs> he's like, so this is what, oh my God, this is fucking terrible. <laughs> and then uh, didn't he like give a playful elbow uh, on like, he was like switching sides or something at the, uh, at the end of an intermission. And like, he's going past, I think it was Johnny Gaudreau. And he just like gives him a little, shot like as a joke yeah yeah he was skating he was skating past and was kind of like elbowed his way past uh it's fun cute eh, just good clean fun probably four yawns though i mean backup goaltender yeah maybe three uh three because he's a decent backup goaltender yeah, for sure. and toronto know, now has like seven goalies or something right toronto and colorado sort of have the same situation of a bunch of okay mediocre to, to okay <laughs> yeah mediocre to okay goalies and you just wonder how that's gonna play out between now and the playoffs because you know they're both incredibly offensively talented teams but somebody's got to keep the puck out of the net in theory i believe it's going to play out with waivers <laughs> waivers so yeah we'll give it three yawns uh i think so i got, think he'll play well oh he'll definitely play uh, jack campbell has been kind of spotty his last two starts mm-hmm. frederick anderson is probably out for the year yeah um sounds like it the interesting thing about david riddick is like why didn't colorado do this you know go for him instead of dubnik or Jonas johansson that is uh joe sackick's blind spot is he's like look at this team i've built well sir we should address the goalie sitchin what what is this goalie you speak of <laughs> who are these strange men in back yeah why do they wear the so many pads are why, they afraid why are they all crazy well he also played with Patrick Waugh, so maybe he's just fucking over it. Yeah, maybe he's just a scared of goalies. He just, like, doesn't go to the goalie room. Yeah. He, like, walks past the goalie room. He's like... Well, I think he uh-uh. I think he had to fire Patrick Waugh as coach of the, the yeah. Avs, too. Oh, yeah. I yeah, ever know. since then, he's just been scarred. That would scar anybody. Uh, moving on, Braden Coburn. This is seven. This is a five-yawn trade, but so Braden Coburn from Ottawa to the Islanders for a 2022 seventh-round pick. Yeah. Five feels, yawns. Yeah, five yawns. Feels like uh, doing Coburn a solid, maybe. I don't know. Right. He was, was he even playing? No, no. And he was Didn't traded, for, he was traded from Tampa where he kind of played to Ottawa where he was barely playing to the Islanders where he probably won't play that much either, but he might get his name on the cup. So that's cool. Yeah. I mean, it's a war of attrition in the playoffs and, you know, he's a defensive defenseman, so he could see the ice and maybe do some good stuff, but. Yeah, probably a five yawner. Interesting that the two players that Tampa traded to Ottawa for cap relief this past offseason have now both been traded. Yeah, I mean, I think that speaks to, I don't know, what Tampa is and how shrewd Julian Priesbois can be. He's a Sith Lord, <laughs> but that's that's okay. He is the Sith Lord to Steve Eiserman's Jedi. <laughs> Ayo, you got to have two sides of the force. Opposite sides of the force, yes. Um, the next trade, Mike Riley from Ottawa to Boston for a 2022 third round pick. Now Boston has a defenseman that I can name. They have one defenseman <laughs> who is healthy. 
Yeah, because Gerslik's still out. He's outish. Okay. Um, I this is probably four yawns for me. Mike Riley is okay. Yeah, but like, he's a guy. He's, he can play. He, he he will probably play a very significant role for Boston, but not because he's great. <laughs> Just because, because they don't have anybody alive. Yeah, they they have such a bared cupboard defenseman. Like, uh, we'll get to their amazing forwards in a bit, but when they. <laughs> people just like name the starting defenseman for the Boston Bruins. It's like, it's just some guys. They could legitimately just say names and people would be like, Oh, when they bring him <laughs> yeah. in, they'd be like, and toots McGillifart uh, <laughs> here uh, is on the second pair. And they'd be like, Oh, I've heard good things about him in the AHL. What a pickup by, <laughs> uh, was it Don Sweeney is the GM there. This, the next one here was probably one of the, like more out of the blue trades. I mean, Jeff Carter was somebody who could have been traded. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's not thoroughly surprising to see Jeff Carter get traded from LA to Pittsburgh for a 2022 third round pick and a 2023 fourth round pick. Both of those picks have conditions, neither of which are important, which is to say that if Pittsburgh does well, those picks become better. Okay. Was an interesting piece you know you sort of thought somebody was gonna get jettisoned from la um like we had talked about dustin brown being a good replacement for anders lee and but yeah to see jeff carter go interesting is jeff carter a three yawn trade i feel like that's a four yawn trade at this point no, I'll, jeff go Carter's three. Career. I'll go three all right because right. i mean he's gonna play real minutes in pittsburgh i think Oh, yeah. I mean, especially with Malkin currently on the shelf, he'll get a chance to play up the lineup quite a bit. But he's probably a third line guy, Mm -hmm. middle six guy. Sure. Three yawns. So now we get to the big news. That wasn't super big, but Eh, big ish. It was the second biggest trade of a otherwise lackluster trade deadline day. Mm hmm. So Taylor Hall and Curtis Lazar from Buffalo to Boston for a 2021 second round pick and Anders Bjork. Curtis Lazar, I think, is a better player than we give him credit for. Mm -hmm. And I think he has a chance to really impact that bottom line in Boston. Yeah, he looked good. Taylor Taylor Hall is quasi-resurgent in Mm -hmm. Boston, probably because he's on a team that has a chance of winning at all. And he's... On a second line that has needed scoring for a while, but he's got Krejci with him and I forget who the Craig other, Smith and Craig Smith on that line. So, you know, he lines up on a good line and also only has to play against a second defensive pairing now instead of a first defensive pairing. I watched the first game after him and Lazar got traded and yeah, Lazar looked way better than Taylor Hall. Like Taylor Hall's like, wow, you're pressing really hard, dude. And he's since got into the groove of things. He's got two goals and looks a little bit better. He's always been a play driver, but uh, his finishing numbers are kind of. He was shooting 2% yeah, in Buffalo. <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. And you know what? Andres Bjork, I believe, already has a goal for Buffalo. So, mm-hmm. hey, cool. Have fun. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are super high on him. And hopefully, you know. Hopefully something goes right in Buffalo. And so it'd be nice to see him be one of those things. I'm guessing 
I want to say a two yawn. Yeah, I think two yawn. Yeah. You know, it, if this was Taylor Hall three years ago, it's definitely a one yawn trade. Like that's a super high end player who is in his prime. Oh, Taylor Hall is, you know, slipped a little bit. Doesn't have the reputation that he had following his heart trophy year, obviously. Mm-hmm. I, it's yeah, two yawns, I think. The next trade is the saddest trade in Canucks Twitter land. Michaela Gaudet's husband, Adam Gaudet, is traded from Vancouver to Chicago for Matthew Highmore in a move that makes almost no sense for anybody. Highmore is not bad, but he's just sort of a bottom six guy and he's been in and out of the lineup. And a lot of people are qualifying this as Vancouver selling incredibly low on a player that they've drafted and groomed now for several years, Mm -hmm. who's a former Hobie Baker winner. And, you know, he's not bad, but he's not to where he could be yet. And, um, you know, he's probably tops out as a middle six guy. The knock on him, I think is his skating. Um, but I don't know. I'm super happy to see him, become a Blackhawk. Highmore was liked and respected, but I think trading him and uh, getting what seems like an upgrade of a player. I'm going to say this is probably a five-yawn trade, right? I give it four just because it's my team and a player that we sort of follow. I don't know. Our next trade is the Dmitry Kulikov trade from the Devils to Edmonton. For a 2022 fourth round pick. Smart trade by both sides, but a complete yawner. Yeah. uh, Here's the silliest part about it is Ken Holland, after the trade deadline, people ask him, hey, you know, you didn't really do much to address team needs. And Ken Holland's answer was, well, you can't go all in every year. (laughs) You have Connor McDavid. And Leon Dreisaitl on your team. If you're not all in with two of the like five best players in the world, who the <laughs> yeah. fuck are you what kidding? Are you Why are you a general manager? But they also did add a bunch of people in the offseason, right? I mean, that, that team makeup is quite different from what it was last year. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong, but you're not right either. <laughs> like... <laughs> Like, I, I, you're you're not wrong in the fact that there is there was a decent amount of additions to the team this year, but none of them were big. It was like Dominic Cahoon and yeah, uh, not re-signing Andreas Anthonisiu, like, right? Like addition by subtraction. Ken Holland is an awful GM. Is one he has to operate with a salary cap. He, I, I'm sorry, Edmonton, but you're never going to win with him as your GM. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a bummer. When, uh, when when Jim Devolano gave him the keys to a Cadillac, he managed to keep it from sputtering for a couple of years, and then was just like, "Oh well, this is over," and drove <laughs> it into the fucking ground. This trade, I'm going to say four yawns. Okay. Yep. No, yeah, uh, we could go five. I I go straight to five. All right. Yeah. Fuck you, Dmitry Kulikov. <laughs> <laughs> this next trade i think evan is a bigger fan of than the <laughs> nhl at large and i tend to agree with him just because of the joy that is the, that are the names involved mm-hmm. that is from san jose magnus crona was traded to tampa for frederick clayson mm-hmm. that's Ma- a, those are some good hockey names yeah. 
Well, Magnus Krona is also probably the fourth installment of the Krona Cross, <laughs> Krona Trigger series. I think he's a, a triple West Coast IPA. And a delicious one at that. Probably <laughs> Just really hoppy Magnus Krona. Probably something brewed by like Stone. Yeah. He could also be a Bond villain. Ooh. Or. Yeah, I think that. I, I think of like a Scandinavian strongman winner. Without the names, this is definitely a five-yon trade for sure. Like, who has ever heard of either of these people? Yeah. Um, but we'll we'll give it, a, let's give it like 4.9 stars just because of the ability to riff on it for a bit. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so four yons. Carl Soderberg was traded from Chicago to Colorado where he back has- Back to Colorado. Yeah, back to Colorado where he's played for several years before this for kind of nobody's but maybe prospects and Josh Dickinson and great hockey name, Ryder Ralston. Ryder Ralston. <laughs> Ryder Ralston, part of the great Ryder lineage of <laughs> Ryder Strong of Boy Meets World fame. <laughs> Not porn fame, oddly enough. <laughs> um, Ryder, I think, is the more real of these two prospects. He's playing at Notre Dame, which Stan is super happy to just acquire notre dame players Ryder ralston is the most fucking notre dame name since like connor mcgarrick <laughs> yeah like i can see Ryder ralston sperry's does he have red hair <laughs> and is extremely pale speaking of red hair and extremely pale unfortunately the flaming red hair of sam bennett no longer plays for the flames uh, mm-hmm. which was just a a joke that wrote itself uh <laughs> sam bennett in a 2022 Sixth round pick, sorry, uh, were traded from Calgary to Florida for Emil Heineman and a 2022 second round pick. I think we're mostly just happy that Sam Bennett gets a shot somewhere. Yeah, happy to see Sam Bennett play maybe where he's going to be valued. I mean, hopefully Joel Quenville doesn't turn around and just like healthy scratch him a bunch like he does to some people like Vinny Henestrosa. Like a, a mini torts kind of thing. Yeah, if you're in Quenville's doghouse, it's like famously difficult to come out of. And that's one of the reasons that you see this sort of Florida to Chicago pipeline is these outcasts of the stash. And Chicago's like, hey, well, we'll take him. Yeah. yeah we'll see what we can do. Heinemann is, uh, was a second round pick last year. So okay. definitely some decent pedigree. Hmm. You know, maybe Calgary's getting a real player there and yeah. hopefully... Uh, I didn't realize he was that high of a draft pick. Yeah, 43 overall last year. He's playing in the SHL over in Sweden right now and maybe three ons because Sam Bennett is included or do yeah, we want to... I think three. So last week when we were talking and we had a couple of trades pop up as we were speaking, they were these weird three-way trades where a player was sent to another team so they could absorb some of his cap hit before mm-hmm. sending him on to the final destination. In this one, Matthias Yanmark went from Chicago to San Jose. San Jose then retained 50% of what was left of his salary and then or sent Matthias Yanmark on to, Ve- on to Vegas. The Golden Knights ended up shipping out a couple of picks a second round pick in this year's draft to Chicago, as well as a third round pick in this round year's draft next or year's next draft. year's draft. They then send a fifth round pick in next year's draft to San Jose for retaining some of Matthias Yanmark's salary. Uh, Chicago also sent a fifth round pick to Vegas as part of this deal. So lots of flip flopping, lots of jumping, jumping from city to city that never happened. But 
in the end, really what happens is Matthias Yanmark goes to Vegas for a couple of picks. Yeah, and a second and a third for him is awesome. You know, to basically get for him what Buffalo got for Taylor Hall, like, awesome. It says a lot about how far Taylor Hall's star had fallen. And Mm -hmm. also, let's just say Vegas doesn't have the greatest history of winning trades. I think they gave up three picks for Tomas Tatar Mm. and then immediately sent him to Montreal. So like regardless of who the GM has been over there, whether it's McCrimmon or I forget who it is now, um, they've, they've been losing picks and I know Vegas is like window is open now and has been open since they were created, (laughs) which is such a crazy thing to say or think will not happen with Seattle. You know, their their window is open now, so why not go for it? If you if you're not worried about future capital, you know probably one of the five best teams in the NHL. Mm-hmm. You have a pretty good shot. Go for it. Yeah. Whenever Alex Petrangelo's contract is in its later years, that team is going to struggle. <laughs> but for now, buying Matthias Yanmark is probably a pretty smart play. Um, more. Oh, what do we what do we think? Three ons. Three because it's interesting trade. Yeah, but I don't think any of the players there warrants a second yawn. No, I think or a tr- reduction of yawns. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go three. All right, three yawns. I'm gonna just throw this in fifth yawn territory. Maybe since it's a Chicago trade, uh, a yet another Chicago trade. Maybe, Stan's busy day. Maybe Evan will disagree with me, but Madison Bowie and a fifth round pick went to Chicago from vancouver or went to vancouver from chicago for a fourth round pick that says all you need to say about madison bowie is that it took also a f- including a fifth round pick just to get a fourth round pick for him <laughs> yeah he didn't play much he played a little bit for the hawks but there was talk about him being like an expansion draft buffer and now it sounds like they're going to uh, dangle Calvin DeHaan instead of him. Yeah, while we're on the subject, yeah. we should just skip ahead to the Eric Gustafson trade because he is also uh, appallingly bad, but really good in the power play. Yeah, so, okay, yeah, so Madison Bowie, five yawns, also five yawns. Montreal gets Eric Gustafson from Philly for a 2022 seventh-round pick. I think this is a conditional for yawner if he plays it could be interesting i mean how you pl- but he's not gonna play they have how you so deploy- many defensemen there yeah but they don't have him i mean how you <laughs> deploy an eric gustison in the playoffs is interesting because he's if you shelter him and make him a power play specialist he's really creative and uh, but yeah he's just not very he's kind of lost defensively Bouncing around, uh, Toronto received Ben Hutton from Anaheim for a 2022 fifth round pick. This Who? is a five yawner. Can we give it six? Also in the land of the boring, San Jose receives Alexander Barbanov from Toronto for Anti Suomela. Um, Barbanov? You mean like the shaving cream? Yeah, it's like the it's Rus- Russian shaving cream. Yeah, it's like he, in America is Barbasol, in Russia is Barbanov. Yeah, you put it on your face and it. yeah it's actually adhesive yes (laughs) anti-sumella like i think that's something you get from drinking untreated water in a third world country (laughs) nashville gets eric goodbranson from ottawa for brandon oh fortunato and 2023 seventh round pick 
So Nashville, who should have jettisoned as many players as they could have on this trade during this trade deadline, picks up a useless defenseman and hands out a guy and a pick for it. He's not useless. He's just boring. This is all speaks to the weirdness that their GM situation is. You know, they've, as a team, they have had literally one GM and he is incredibly old. And so, you know, probably just forever in win now mode. Yeah, they should have sold. They had assets to sell. The Blackhawks could retake their playoff spot at any time if they really want to. That would be kind of great. As much as I don't really want Chicago to make the playoffs, I would love to see Nashville be like, no, we're a contender, (laughs) and then not make the playoffs. Yeah. It'd be even better if Columbus came out of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) And then then Jarmo. Patrick Line just goes psycho. Yeah. And that would be awesome. And then GM Jarmo is like, shit, do we have to bring back Torts now? Oh, no. Uh, um, no way that happens. Also boring. Uh, less boring. These next two picks are, or next two trades are kind of boring, but uh, Michael Roffel went from, from Philadelphia to Washington for a 2021 fifth round pick. Okay. There's yeah. some bottom six for you, Washington. I, I think we're throwing all of these in the five yawn Yeah, category. this is just a, a f- one big five yawn. Winnipeg. Got Jordy Ben from Vancouver for a six-round pick in this year's draft. Winnipeg was like, man, we've got a great forward core, and we've got a killer goalie. What should we do? I know. Let's save that back line by getting Jordy fucking Ben. (laughs) The Canucks were happier to see him leave than Winnipeg was to see him arrive. Yeah, Jordy Ben showed up, and they were like, you know your brother doesn't go down on women, right? I've always wondered if does Jordy Ben eat pussy? What if like every time that comes out of Jamie's mouth, Jordy's just like, dude, bro, <laughs> like, if you really, you really don't like it, dude, you just gotta gotta greet some pleats, man. I mean, there's a there's a chance that his first experience was with a unkempt pussy. Oh yeah, and that sucks. Like, let's be honest, like going down there and there's like a funky taste or smell and you're just like nope that could scar a man or a woman he probably just dated somebody that didn't like it and then he just never had to or he's just really fucking bad at it and so like (laughs) the first girl he was with was just like don't worry you don't need to do that and he was like oh okay and then he thought that that's how every woman how awful would we feel if like he had some like underlying oral motor condition that like kept him from being yeah. able to confidently like he gets like, down there he's like trying to and it's just like awful and bad like his, he, his, he actually can't control his tongue his or... tongue can't come out of its mouth out of his mouth <laughs> it's it's stu- a, he can talk it's just yeah. it's stuck there yeah it's like it's he's like eh, like he's in the he's in the bathroom like eh, trying doing tongue stretches <laughs> trying to like get his tongue like it's like if only gene simmons were here <laughs> <laughs> but, but he's gotten surgery uh, but it's, uh, <laughs> yeah fuck jamie ben uh, if you're listening out there if we have any young listeners out there like when you get to the point where you're in a relationship go down on your woman uh, you don't even or, need to be in a relationship yeah just, just go down on your significant others yeah like it's it's pretty great <laughs> it does good things for everybody yeah everybody's happy afterwards <laughs> like, like nobody finishes that up with like the 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 expected final product of going down on a woman nobody finishes that up and goes i wish i hadn't done that <laughs> <laughs> nobody's like well that was a bummer <laughs> you're happy she's happy 
the pets that are awkwardly watching are happy. <laughs> it's great. Anyways, yeah, go down on women. It's great. So let's talk about the trades that we actually care about. Yeah, at all. enjoyed. The first will be there's two more here. So the first is Anaheim receives Hayden Flurry from Carolina. <laughs> Just saw your note for ice cream brand Yanni Hockenpot. <laughs> Thank you for sneaking that in. <laughs> well done. Um, and a 2022 six-round pick. I really like this trade for Anaheim. Uh, I like it for both of them. Well, Carolina is going to lose somebody in the expansion draft. Mm-hmm. And they needed to be able to protect people. And yeah. so they got rid of Hayden Fleury, who they probably weren't going to be able to protect. Mm-hmm. And who, you know, to this point... has. I wouldn't say he's been a disappointment. He just hasn't gotten a real good chance in Carolina because they have so many good defensemen ahead of him. Yeah, he just hasn't gotten minutes. Yeah, so they have a log jam. It's great for Hayden Flurry to be able to get out into Anaheim, a team that is young, is rebuilding, but has a very long history of drafting, training, and producing very good defensemen. Mm-hmm. They do a good job there. And for Hayden Fleury moving to Anaheim, that's a really good place for him to be as a young defenseman looking to make a niche for himself in the in the league. Yeah, this is probably a good place to talk about why the hell didn't Anaheim at the basement of the West Division sell anybody? Like People they, have to want what you're selling. They had they had assets worth selling, you know. Uh what they have I'm going to keep this pause in because that just shows how little they had. They have well, okay. Adam Henrique. They have Getzlav. Uh, but maybe Getzlav doesn't want to go. You know, like right. Adam Henrique's contract is bad. It's like 5.8 for the next three years after this year. Oh, woof. Uh, Jacob Silverberg's contract is not tradable. Like they could have traded Ricard Raquel, but he got hurt. Um, oh, yeah, they did kind of become a victim of timing there, didn't they? Yeah, Danton Heinen is is a tradable asset, but... What about the defensemen? Well, they're not sending Cam Fowler anywhere. They had Josh Manson, and he was kind of rumored as somebody that could get traded. But, you know, again, people have to want what you're selling, you know? And mm-hmm. maybe maybe Anaheim was just like, oh, we need all of this stuff for for <laughs> middling players. And it's like... Uh, no. Yeah, the price like, may have been too high. That Josh Manson probably gets traded next year because it's not like Anaheim's going to be good next year either. That's true. Yeah, you know, but but Hayden Fleury is a good player. Mm-hmm. He could become a very good player, right? And again, Anaheim has that great track record of producing defensemen, so good for them. And who they gave up for Hayden Fleury is a personal favorite of mine, Yanni Hockenpah. Oh, what do we think about that trade? Maybe three ons? Yeah, I go three ons just because. And it's fun. Yeah. And I mean, Hayden Fleury is a promising young guy. Uh, Yanni Hockenpah is a delicious ice cream flavor. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. But then there was the blockbuster trade, which, again, is not a huge blockbuster, but is it's a very big trade. Yeah, I like it. So the Detroit Red Wings traded Anthony Mantha to the Washington Capitals for Jacob Verana, Richard Panic, or Panic. A 2021 first round pick and a 2022 second round pick. Mwah. Chef's kiss. That's a good trade. That is an awesome trade. That's the trade that you try and make on NHL 20 or whatever. <laughs> and the other team goes, no. And you're like, are you fucking kidding me? That's a great trade. 
I'm going to say this is a one-yon trade. I think that's exactly where I was going to go with it, too. I think Anthony Mantha and Jacob Verana both have the talent to be first-line players. Richard Ponick is, I mean, he's at the end of his career. That's he's a had cash a, dump, He's had though. a decent, yeah, it's, it, that was making the money work. Then you throw in a first-round and a second-round pick into the deal. Keep in mind, that's the only first-round pick that was traded on deadline day. Mm-hmm. And, and one of, like, I think four to be traded overall. And the second pick is next year, yes. where it's going to be more useful. Well, and next year is considered a very deep draft. Mm-hmm. Let me lay it out from, like, my... This is, again, my Red Wings perspective. Anthony Mantha is a very good player when motivated. Mm-hmm. We've seen that in the four games he's played in Washington since being traded. He has four goals and an assist. He looks like a brand new guy compared to the guy who was farting around Detroit for the entire year. <laughs> he's got a new lease on life. He's he's kind of recaptured that goal-scoring prowess that he had when healthy last year, mm-hmm. where he was on, like, a... I think he was on like a 75 point in an 82 game season pace, which is a legit first line forward. You've seen the type of things that he's tried to pull off since he got to Washington. Mm -hmm. He was not trying that in Detroit at all this year. He was, he would like skate into a defensive trap and just give the puck away and then maybe skate back to his defensive zone. Mm -hmm. He, immediately scores a couple of highlight level goals where he uses his stick handling uses his hockey iq to get himself into great places to score and he looks like the player that detroit always thought he could be and there are going to be fans both on the washington side who say well this proves we won this trade and on the detroit side who say oh my god i can't believe we gave him up but that's not the point Mm-mm. of this trade the wings are going to be bad probably for another couple of years and their their hopeful window opens in probably like 2024 Iserman has said since he got back this is going to take a while this is going to take patience i'm asking you to be patient trading possibly the best player on your team shows that Iserman is playing the long game mm-hmm The reason this trade works for Detroit is they trade Anthony Mantha to a team that is a contender where he can possibly win a cup. The wings got Jacob Verana, who, despite being the same draft year as Anthony Mantha, is actually 18 months younger. Mm -hmm. Mantha will be 27 in October. Thus, like in 2024, he'll be 30. Thus kind of putting him out of that window where you want him around when you're turning competitive. Do you want some veterans on your team? Sure. But like at age 30, you don't know what Mantha is going to be is going to be Dom decision at, at the athletic. His models put him at like one to like 1.4 wins above replacement for okay. that age. And when you're trying to build a contender, that's just not who you want around on a like six million dollar a year salary. Right. If they play all their cards right, they'll have turned Mantha into three good players. Right. So that's and that's the point here. Like. Jacob Verana, as far as scoring this year goes, can, in theory, replace what Anthony Mantha is bringing, was bringing to the Detroit Red Wings. Is he the same level of player as Anthony Mantha? No, probably not. But he's very good. Mm-hmm. I don't think his ceiling is as high as Anthony Mantha's, but it's pretty high. He's going to get first-line minutes, which he never got in Washington. Right. So, in the meantime, you got two 
high quality draft picks out of this. And all you really had to do was eat a couple of years of Richard Ponick's salary, which isn't that bad. It's like 2.3 something. Yeah. And he's not a terrible player. He'll, he'll fill he'll, out your bottom six. Yeah. He'll definitely play in Detroit for the next couple of years while we're trying to get out of this pit that Ken Holland dug for us. <laughs> Good luck, Edmonton. Um, <laughs> it, people were saying like, oh, Detroit fleeced Washington. Yeah, maybe, maybe uh, this, like, if you look at trade models for wins above replacement, Detroit absolutely fleeced Washington in this deal, but I don't think that tells the whole story here. Mm -hmm. I think it's a good trade for Detroit to get a bunch of assets for a guy who might not be around when your window of contention reopens. You bring in a relatively solid replacement for him and you get two very high end picks. Now, granted, those picks are going to be you know, towards the end of those rounds, but it's more, it's more ammunition. Mm -hmm. And the Red Wings now have 12 picks in the first five rounds this year. Holy wow. And 10 picks next year. Wow. That's awesome. That's after. So by the end of the 2022 draft, Detroit will have made in four years, six years worth of draft picks. (laughs) So when you're a team that needs prospects and needs talent and elite and needs those kinds of resources coming through your pipeline, you've given yourself as many chances at success as possible. And that's what Detroit needs right now. So I think this is a great trade all around it frees Anthony Mantha to go play in a team that is contending. And he's again, four goals and one assist since he got there, he's playing great. And it, gives Detroit a lot of flexibility moving forward. And so I think this is a one-yon trade. It's clearly not a generational talent like Gretzky to LA trade, mm-hmm. but it's two front, two first-line capable players and, and high-level draft picks. picks. Yeah. So I like I know I've been waxing about this for a while, but I, I, I think it's a great trade. It's a great NHL trade. We oh, don't yeah. see these kinds of trades that often in the NHL. It's a good hockey trade. Yeah, and so like, like let's just kind of enjoy the fact that like Stevie Y is a fucking Jedi, mm-hmm. and and we get to yeah. see Mantha, you know, play on full power like we've kind of wanted him to. Yeah, he gets to he gets to you know play like a big boy. Speaking of playing like a big boy, by the time that you listen to this, Patrick Marlowe will have broken Gordy Howe's record for most games played in the NHL. Um, he's done so in less than spectacular fashion, kind of limping to the finish line, playing blah minutes for bad teams. But, you know, he's done it in the current uh, salary cap and uh, competitive era. And, uh, you know, hats off to him for just surviving this long and, uh, you know, giving us the, the good play that he has at times and also he looks the same as when he when he came into the league in his face (laughs) not in his capabilities or ability no but uh he's washed up yeah he is he also he's been washed up for three years oh yeah as he's bounced around and like san jose made he's played for like four teams in that time like they made a big show out of bringing him back and people were like why I'm sorry. I hate this. (laughs) I hate that a washed up fogey is breaking a record of one of the legends of the NHL and is only playing the game because 
of the record. Right. He's of no further use to a team. He has eight points playing on like the second line yeah. in San Jose. He's useless right now. John Tortorella, if he was his coach, would have just healthy scratched him. Just be like, so oh, to Mike Babcock, you're, Mike Babcock, you're done, bud. yeah, Mike Babcock fucking benched Mike Madonna instead of letting him play his like his a thousandth game or whatever it was. Yeah, it's some bullshit. Like. Like, I'm glad Patrick Marlowe's got the record. Cool. Whatever. But I'm Records not. are made to be broke. No, like, well, this is Gordie Howe's record. And, you know, Patrick Marlowe might have it, but whatever. Well, what Patrick Marlowe does not have is Gordie Howe's nine years in the WHA. Exactly. So it's not most professional hockey games played. It's games in the National Hockey League. Yeah. I mean, Patrick Marlowe is... 41 and you said gordy howe played till he was 51 gordy howe played until he was 51 and had 41 points in his final season Mm -hmm. like that's still a legitimate nhl player oh yeah he could have played longer if he wanted and he was 51 years old but he did play in essentially a different yeah they played in a different era maybe it wasn't as hard on their bodies but they also didn't have the training regimens they didn't have the health science they didn't have the sports science they didn't have the padding or the medical uh, advances yeah like tearing your acl in 1951 meant your career was over (laughs) now you're out for like six months yeah i uh met one of the first acl replacements in the world ever i think he got it done in like early 80s or something and you know Today, ACLs are like, you get little dots where they do the laparoscopic surgery and like, it's all robots and artistry. And he has like a giant zipper on his knee. Yeah. His (laughs) scar is three feet long. Yeah. It's absolutely insane. But he's able to walk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that just speaks to how medical technology has changed in these intervening years. So hats off to Patrick Marlowe, but Gordie Howe is still Mr. Hockey. I think that wraps it up for us today. Thank you, as always, so much for listening and for sticking with us. If you have any feedback on any of these trades, if you disagree with our yawn scale, hit us up on social media. Email us. You can find us on the internets at handsomehockey.com, Handsome Hockey Podcast on Instagram, at Handsome Hockey on Twitter, or handsomehockeypod at gmail.com if you want to get in touch with us directly. We also have a Facebook page for Handsome Hockey. You can also find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Red Circle, or wherever else you find your podcasts. It's actually on the Voyager satellite that uh, we launched into deep space. Somewhere an alien life form is going to come across us and be like, we need to burn that planet to the ground. (laughs) That's actually the plot of a Star Trek movie. (laughs) It is. It's Star Trek 17. (laughs) But again, thank you so much for listening. Stay handsome, everybody. Rastez beau to Le Mans.